Hello, lovely people. How are you doing? I hope you're well and thank you so much for listening. Now, do you really think it's possible to have a job you feel truly passionate about and fulfilled by and, if you're a parent, make it work around your children? Well, today's guest thinks you absolutely can. Sometimes when you're when you're at your lowest point or your back is against a wall, you find courage to do something that you wouldn't do when you're comfortable. And this is why I think sometimes we see difficult situations as being times of failure or really dif- difficulty. But actually, sometimes it's from that we can give birth to courage. It's very difficult to change your life when everything is going well because you don't want to upset the apple cart. But when you haven't got much to lose, you know, when your life isn't going well, you can afford to be braver at those times. Hannah Martin was a single mum working as a copy editor when she realised, well, she just couldn't carry on as she was. She decided to go freelance, but then also discovered so many of her friends were struggling with their careers after children. Hannah thought if she knew so many talented but frustrated women, there must be thousands, if not millions of others feeling the same. So she decided to form the Talented Ladies Club. Ten years later, the online magazine has grown to more than 100,000 monthly readers around the world and it includes courses and masterclasses to help women begin and grow their businesses and careers, whatever they may be. Plus, she's got her own Get Rich Slow podcast, which is just brilliant. I've learned so much myself. Hannah has grown an incredible business around her own children and is helping thousands of others do the same. But best of all, Hannah is just, well, she's just honest and encouraging. She believes even if you try and it doesn't work, it will always take you to a better place. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is. Hannah Martin. Hannah Martin, thank you so much for joining me. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, so I am thrilled for you to be here. Welcome to the next chapter. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, it's brilliant. So, Hannah, we start as ever with the prologue. So you grew up in Worthing, is that right? Uh, Just outside Worthing in the country. Yes, I did. Okay. And what, what kind of upbringing did you have and what were you like at school? Uh, funny enough, I was exchanging some text messages from friends today about our school years and <laughs> I was the child at school in the hand-me-down clothes with the haircut that their mum did and a head brace. So, <laughs> needless to say, like I wasn't one of the hot girls at school. I was really quiet, I was really shy, um, grew up in the countryside, quite a sort of working class family. Um, so yeah, that was my upbringing. You had a, but I imagine I obviously had a strong identity at school though. I'm sure you had good haircut. I'm sure you did have a good haircut. <laughs> Um, and did you like school did you did you enjoy your studies um not no I mean I I latterly know that I have ADHD which explains why I found school quite boring um I would I would kind of I'm very quick my mind works very quickly but it, it it doesn't sort of so I would grasp things quite fast um, but also grasp on a fairly surface level and didn't have the interest or patience to really then do the work to do it more. And I was lazy. Um, so I did well at school. I could have done a lot better. And I mostly found lessons really boring. Mm, isn't that interesting? How did you find out that you had ADHD later on? Only when my son was diagnosed. So when my son was 16 and about to take his GCSEs, I had a tutor to try and help him because he was really struggling. And she was the one that actually, she she had been an SEN teacher um, and she recommended I get him tested. At that time, I didn't know very much about ADHD and I was really worried. I only had heard really negative things about it. So I did get him tested and he, he was conf- diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and then in in the process of learning about it to understand what he had and how it worked for him, I realised that this all seems very familiar and then realised that actually I also kind of, you know, I, I haven't had a formal diagnosis, but a lot of the, the symptoms of it were very similar to to me. And also understanding that, that many girls aren't diagnosed with ADHD. It manifests often quite differently in girls. 
Mm, isn't that interesting? But then, I mean, then you did really well to think about it at school because if, uh, and obviously you said your son before we started recording, he's gone off to university. So it goes to show, but the fact that you, you did do well at school, even though you realised that, you know, you were probably sort of, no wonder you, you weren't lazy. It was just probably that you were finding things a bit more difficult that you just didn't want to do it that way, isn't it? And then we give ourselves a label. Absolutely. I mean, I just find it very boring and, and I find, and I still do today, I find it very difficult to engage in something that doesn't interest me. Yeah. You know, I, 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 if I'm in a meeting and the meeting is going on and on, I physically cannot sit there. I physically cannot remain in a situation that I find boring. It's like every fibre of my being that kind of screams at me to get out of that situation or to, to, to change it. So, um, but I'm also, and I think maybe this is why maybe girls go under the radar a bit more you know I'm more of a people pleaser than my son definitely ever was <laughs> yeah. so I didn't like getting in trouble so I would suppress my thing you know my, my kind of feelings I I would not act out or I would not want to to to, to kind of fidget so I think maybe that comes into play a bit as well mm, absolutely so so you just got and then so you did you go off, you went off to university I, I went to uh, I did did you went to university I did uh, fine art but I didn't finish my degree right okay did you have any idea when you were at school what you wanted to do did you then think you wanted to go into the art world no I I knew I wanted to do something I loved that I was good at I wanted to have a career and I it, and I knew it had to be something creative it had to be something I loved I I remember when I was at I think that's sixth form. And my mum made me take Pittman's typing because she said, oh, if you can type, you would never be unemployed. Mm. And I remember thinking even then, I never want to be in that position. Any job that required typing, I did not want to have. You know, I didn't want to be a secretary or admin to do a job that didn't light me up or challenge me. So I had a very strong sense of ambition, but also wanted something creative that I loved. Okay, so you went to art. So you went into art school after art college. Why didn't you? If you don't mind me asking, why didn't you finish that? Um, a couple of reasons. One, I couldn't sit through lectures. Mm. I found them so boring. So I didn't attend a single lecture. I sat through. I tried to sit through one. The first one left it. Never went back to lectures, um, which probably didn't. <laughs> it didn't help. Much. But still, at least you were. You knew your mind, Hannah. You knew mm. your mind. Oh, yeah, yes. I, yes, I always in my mind. Um, and then I got to the end of the second year and I realised I didn't want to be an artist. Um, I really hadn't turned up very much. I really had done very much work. Um, and I and I sort of, I came to a realisation that I wasn't someone who gave up on things. Again, as a people pleaser, I followed through on things. So to, 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 to walk away from something was actually quite a big decision for me. But I realised if I was going to get anywhere in life, it wasn't because I would have got what would be a really bad degree, because I you know, basically would, if I passed at all, it would be a very low mark. But I would get somewhere through ambition and hard work. And I thought, well, you know, I didn't want to stay in a, a city I didn't really like particularly, on a course that I wasn't doing well at. Um, so I made a decision to leave. Okay, good for you. And what did you do then? So I came back to Worthing um, and then I went to see a careers counsellor. And I remember her saying to me, well, you know, I may have done sort of two years of a degree, but actually the only qualification I had was A-levels. That was my sort of real top qualification. So she said, you know, you're no better than an 18-year-old who just left school. Maybe you should just get a job doing admin in a local office and, and that's it. Mm. And I was thinking, this is all my worst fears from growing up. So um, I then I was quite depressed, didn't know what I wanted to do. I got a job um, in an office of a factory in my town and I decided I wanted to... Um, go to Hong Kong. Now, I'd never been to Asia before, let alone Hong Kong. I had no job, no friends, I had nothing there. But I wanted, I, I, the thing is, in those days, you could go there without a work visa, which was a kind of a plus. And it was far enough away from the UK. And I thought, if I'm going, I, I really wanted to go somewhere where I had no safety net to really prove to myself I could make it. Um, so I did. I worked for a year in the in this factory, um, saving up. And then I bought all my tickets to Hong Kong. I moved out there in... 1995. Wow. No, 19, yes, 1995, yes. Wow. That's when I was 23. And, and did you have siblings or do you have siblings? Yes, I'm the eldest of four. Oh, okay, okay. And so, but were you like the first one in your family to do something like this, to go so far away? No, I mean, my my dad was, um, came from a large family and they were all big travellers. So my dad was in the Navy. Um, many of his siblings were in, in, the, in the armed forces. I had cousins who lived all over the world and travelled. So it's definitely 
in the blood mm. you know we are a family of travelers mm. so so you were what this age like just sort of turning 19 were you no about 20 23 oh yes. okay sorry you were 23 so so you went out there and did you have a job before you went out there did you get no so you just went out there and you didn't know anyone so what did you <laughs> wow that's amazing what did I you live, do when you got there yeah. Well, I lived in a place, anyone who was out in Hong Kong in the 90s will remember a place called Chungking Mansion. I know, even I know of that. My husband's spoken of that. Yeah, in fact, I think we saw it when we went there. <laughs> so, yeah, like it was quite, it was really rough. And that's where kind of all the sort of, you know, the backpackers ended up. Um, and I just had the most amazing time. You know, it, it was in those days, it was full of people like me, people traveling through, looking for adventure, you know, looking for excitement. Um so it was very easy to make friends. And I was I was really shy when I first went there. And and it really helped me to develop confidence because you, you, I couldn't afford to be shy. You had to talk to people. You had to make an effort to get to know people. You had to go to places on your own that you hadn't been to before. So um, I, I made friends. I, I got, eventually, I remember waking up. Well, I'd been there six weeks. I woke up one morning and I literally burned through all my money. I thought, I have to find a job. And I saw an ad that day, went for an interview, and I got a job um, working as the, the PA to the publisher of a, a magazine out there. Wow, okay. And and so, yeah, I mean, that goes to show that, isn't it, that you did such the right thing, leaving your art course, because you suddenly then went on, you were learning all these life skills, which we'll go on to talk about, that obviously helped you so much. But it does go to show if somebody, and it's like, if we often say this, if you're listening to this, and even if you've got children and you know something's not working for them, it doesn't do any harm always. You all think we've got to stick with it, but but look at where that took you. Absolutely. And that was, to me, a really big lesson and one that I, I do pass down onto my children. You know, I do think um, staying power and commitment is important, but there always comes a point or sometimes comes a point whereby going beyond that is actually unhealthy. You know, being in a relationship, staying in a relationship where it's, it's not serving you or staying in a situation where you're not getting anything from it. Sometimes the courageous and, and, and right thing to do is to walk away yeah. rather than to stick at it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a big fan of the next chapter. <laughs> and this is exactly, I mean, it's all it's all different parts of life. So, 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 go, so moving then into like as such, I mean, that was a good first chapter, but I, how I understand it, I know, and forgive me because I haven't got it in the right order. I know you were a freelance copywriter, but I also think you're a psychotherapist and a hypnotist and an NLP practitioner. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty good, Hannah. That's a lot. That's good. So what happened? That, how did that all come about after? How long did you stay out in Hong Kong? And then what happened next? So I will try to be brief because that's covering many years. So basically, I still had that passion for something creative. I realised working on a magazine that I wanted to be a writer, which is ironic, given that when I chose my university degree, I chose one with the shortest dissertation deliberately. <laughs> Uh, so and and then I had a boyfriend at the time who was an art director at an advertising agency. And one Saturday, I went into his office. I went into the creative department, and I just felt at home. I knew that was my place, mm. and I was saw what the writers did and thought I could do that. So I called up the executive creative director of Ogilvy and Mather because wow. I'd heard that he was looking for a writer, and he arranged to meet arranged to have a meeting with me. And I could see he wasn't interested in me because he was looking for someone with experience. I had no writing experience at all. I talked, I think, I think to shut me up more than anything else and get rid of me, he set me a writing test, um, which I did. He obviously really liked it. He hired me and trained me. I then worked in, in um, so I spent five years in Hong Kong, um, worked at Ogilvy there. Then I came back to the UK, worked at Ogilvy in London, and then worked at lots of other advertising agencies, eventually went freelance. Um, and when my son was a toddler, while I was working in London as a copywriter, I, um, on the side, I qualified as a psychotherapist, a hypnotherapist rather than a hypnotist, um, and an NLP practitioner on, as a sort of a, an outside interest. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Okay. Right. So going back, so you stayed for five years, was it in Hong Kong? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. But that was really brave to write to, because Ogilvy and Mather, you know, I don't know too much about it, but I know that they're a huge company. So that was a really brave thing you did. And I mean, presumably, given that you were saying before you were quite shy and introverted, again, that trip to Asia, that really must have helped you to have the confidence to just go directly to that man. Yeah, there is something I, I've thought about this over the years. And I think for me, when I went to Hong Kong, 
it it feels like a brave thing to do but i think sometimes when you're when you're at your lowest point or your back is against a wall you find courage to do something that you wouldn't do when you're comfortable and this is why i think sometimes we see difficult situations as being times of failure or really dif- difficulty but actually sometimes it's from that we can give birth to courage it's very difficult to change your life when everything is going well because you yeah. don't want to upset the apple cart but when you haven't got much to lose you know when your life isn't going well you can afford to be braver at those times so it seems a brave thing in hindsight to go to hong kong but actually i was so desperate i was so depressed and so miserable and so fearful that actually my entire life would end up being living in worthing and, and working in an admin for a cardboard box factory that buying a one-way ticket to Hong Kong was actually a, a quite an easy step to make. Yeah, and doing the typing. Mind you, I quite like typing, Hannah. I'm going to have to argue with you a little bit on that one. But yeah, no, I totally, I mean, totally understand. I mean, it's so good that you did. So obviously then I think you got married as well. Did you, or you met your partner, did you, was that out in Hong Kong or was it, were you back in London by that stage? No, so I went travelling. Again, when I left Hong Kong, I realised there would be, there wouldn't have been an opportunity like that where I didn't have a, a home, a job, a career at that point, because I was between jobs. Um, and I thought it's a brilliant opportunity to travel the world. Um, but there was no one I knew who was ready to travel then. The thought of traveling the world on my own as utterly terrified me. But I thought I never want to let fear limit my life. So I bought a one around the world ticket and I spent the best part of the year traveling the world on my own, wow. which again, initially terrified me. I spent the first 24 hours in India where I first went crying. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I was so lonely, yeah. but I ended up loving it and developing confidence, had an amazing experience. And then I met my first husband, um, in Sumatra, he was a local and I, uh, so I met someone, a local when I was travelling and I brought him back to the UK. Wow, amazing, amazing. So when you came back to the UK, did you, do you said that's when you went back to work at Ogilvy and Mather again? Yeah, so I got in touch with the, their London office, um, went in to see them and they hired me as a freelancer. Right, okay. So you carried on doing this then, like you said, being a freelance copywriter up until you had your, was it your first child? Uh, yes. So yeah. I then, then when I left Ogilvy and I, I then worked, so I then worked in agencies in London. So I was in advertising agencies in London for quite a few years. And yes, when I fell pregnant with my son and had him, I was working full time in London. And where, when you say that you became a psychotherapist um, and hypnotherapist, is that right? If I got that right? Yeah. I, yeah. On, yes. the, on the side. Did you practice as that as well? Because that, that must have taken you a long time to learn to train for both of those. Um, so the course I did was a year um, and you spent one weekend a month at Sussex University and then you spent every week we, you would have to meet up in groups. You would have to see people throughout the year to build a case file. Um, so I, I qualified then, and then I practiced for a short period of time, um, but around my work um, and then I stopped practicing. And was that before you had your son? No, it was after I had my son. It was after you had your son. Wow. So you obviously you obviously had a real... It's interesting. It's just going on now to what we're going to talk about. But obviously you love the writing side of it. But then you obviously yeah. had a real passion for people and and also the development of people as well. Yeah, I've always been interested in what makes people tick. And I still am. And so it was interesting to... To study that, I think, and also I was in a very difficult marriage with a very troubled man, my first husband. And I think I also studied that as a way maybe I thought I could help him, understand him and maybe learn things that would help him in my marriage. Um, and ironically, it was studying, doing my NLP training that made me realise actually I had to leave my marriage. So it didn't really work out in the way I hoped for, but it worked out for the better. Well, exactly. And again, this is what you were saying earlier. Sometimes it, when you're in a difficult situation, my goodness, God, look, there, there could be so many next chapters we talk about here. But again, we with with marriage, it's something actually we've not done on the podcast, which I would like to do a whole episode about with divorce and more because it's, again, it's the right thing sometimes, isn't it? Not that I'm an mm-hmm. expert. But when it, when someone's not happy, it's so much better to to move on than to keep clinging on to it. Absolutely, the worst thing you can do is stay in a relationship that is not making either of you happy. And it was a massive thing for me because I was I was always very good growing up. You know, I wasn't a naughty child. I was a people pleaser. So in my identity, no part of my identity was getting divorced. Mm. You know, 
we, we were, you know, the, the era that we were both brought up in, divorce was not as, as common as it is today and was generally seen as quite a negative thing or a failure on some kind of part. So psychologically, for me to get divorced was a, a really big thing because you marry for better or worse. But actually, once I'd gone through that psychological process of accepting that I was divorced, it was quite liberating because I thought... I'd carried these perceptions of what makes a good person and what you have to be that were passed on to me by society and by by the world. And actually, if I can get rid of that one, then why do I have to accept other things that I'm supposed to be or supposed to do? Mm. And it's quite liberating to then revisit that and think, well, these things that I think about myself, I don't necessarily have to be those things. I don't have to do those things. So I think once you break one kind of barrier like that it, it frees you up to look at other things as well mm, I think it's uh, amazing and brilliant and I mean again this is a, a bit of a tangent but I'm a big believer I don't know how you feel about this Hannah you know when you hear people um I hear people like sort of um psychotherapists like uh, Julia Samuels talking about transgenerational um, sort of issues that get passed down but this over the years how we're all told yes you've got to stay in that marriage you've got to do that you've got to do that but slowly it builds up so the problems that they had just gets passed on to the child and then the child has those problems and that so by doing what you did and I'm not suggesting at all that this comes from your parents or anything like that but it's just saying that you 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 set yourself free and that will then help your children as well show them that they just can do their own path and it's it's a totally different way of living absolutely and I you know my parents were (laughs) willing me to get divorced by the end um (laughs) I I hung on way longer than my family would have liked um but I think it does but I think it's really interesting we look back at the previous generations and we can see the changes that we've made but I'm sure you know we see it now with a lot of the talk about gender identity and things like that every generation like strikes out its own path and and has to almost reinvent things for themselves and I think you know yes we can teach our children lessons that we've learned but there will be lessons that they learn things that that they inherit from us that aren't they don't think particularly healthy and then their children will do the same I think it's a, a natural evolution that each generation has its own kind of barriers that it wants to break and ways it wants to redefine things and we always think you know that we're the finished article like, yeah I'm so kind of you know right on and I'm <laughs> and I'm I've learned all the lessons but actually I'm unintentionally passing things down to my children they're going to want to break as well yeah I know I do I look at our son sometimes and I apologize because I think my goodness I'm handing <laughs> yeah what I must be doing but you know you can only do your best at the time can't you and then they'll get by that by the great great grandchildren they're going to be amazing they're going to be flying. They really are. Um, so, so you had all this. So, so you had. So, by this stage, then you were, you were divorced. Were you divorced by the time you started your talented ladies? Yes. Yes, Amazing. I was. Yes. Okay. So you really were. So, was this a stage there that you were starting up your a complete new next chapter? So you were you'd broken yes. up, but you, you had a, you know the marriage. You you were sort of on your own with your son, but you saw and you, and were you still working at this stage as a freelance copywriter? Yeah, so I there was a quite quite a pivotal point. I was quite depressed if my marriage ended because in the five years I was married, you're in survival mode, so you're just living. And then when it ends, you then got to sort of deal with what's happened to me and process it and understand it and, and forgive myself for what I allowed to happen. Um, and I was working at an agent that did a really good job in London. I was a single mom. I had no pair, massive mortgage. Um, and I was just, I felt like a caged animal. And I remember one day, I didn't really plan it. I found myself walking into my boss's office and quitting. Mm. And I had nothing. I had no safety net. I, I just, I just walked, I, you know, I obviously gave a month's notice. Um, but then I then thought, well, I've really got to find work. So that's when I became a freelancer. I then worked really hard to kind of get connections and build work because I obviously had this huge financial burden to, to pay every month. So that's when I became a freelance copywriter. Okay. Um, and and then I uh, did that as a single mom for a while. Then I met my now husband, who's very lovely. Um, and we, uh, we, I fell pregnant. I had our daughter. And it's when I had my daughter. So at that point in time, I was freelancing from home um, and doing very well. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a survivor. You know, I'm, I'm very, I can kind of gather up energy and I, I can really kind of make things happen for myself. So I was doing really well. But I was you know, I'd never really, I'd always worked in London, even as a freelancer. For the first time in my life, I was, you know, first time in my life now, I was living and working in Worthing. And I didn't have any friends in Worthing. All my friends were all over the world, were in London. So I um, 
I started to get to know some local women. I thought I'd you know, want to kind of build a life here. And it was, I was really shocked when I started to get to know people that how many women that had had amazing careers, you know, brilliantly successful people. Um, and then they were really struggling after being, becoming a mum. And they were giving up on things. You know, one of them was a financial director of a well-known, very well-known company. One was a solicitor. One was being an architect. One was head of head of buying at an Arcadia brand. And that these people were looking for admin jobs and mm. or just really scrabbling around for whatever they could get. And I thought that was a real shame. Um, and when I looked around at that time, so this was about sort of 2011, I first started thinking about this. And there was nothing really online that talked to ambitious women that had children. There were there were a couple of like job sites, but when I looked at them, they were all kind of very pink and very sort of like, well, maybe you used to have a job, but now you can work on Tesco and the till. Mm. You know, it was very much not, I wouldn't say aspirational. And I, I still wanted, even though I was a mother, to do something that fired me up, that, that made a difference to the world, that used my skills and paid me well. I wasn't prepared to compromise on any of that. Mm. Um, and I didn't see why other women should. And that's ultimately what led me to starting Times Ladies Club. That's amazing. So just going back, when you went into that, into, into your boss and you resigned, um, at, that's mm-hmm. it. So you were in a staff job then. Did you, were you just at a feeling where I just, I can't do this? I just can't do this. It's just, yeah, you were just, you were caught on a treadmill and you, like you said, you felt totally trapped and you just went in and you're like, I just, so you were kind of, that was like a bit of a breaking point. Absolutely. And I literally, weeks we had offices and you worked in a team with an art director and I would, it felt like it was in a zoo animal cage. I just wander around and round it like this sort of tiny cage. Um, And, and I felt, I mean, I'd been in that company for three and a half years by then and nothing was really challenging. You know, you were, you were doing work that you could do with your eyes closed. Um, it didn't feel like, you know, I think in hindsight, I didn't realise that side of it. I just felt very depressed and very and very trapped. But I think in hindsight, I was also not challenged as well. Mm, that's interesting. That is interesting. So so then, so when you were then met with, the, with other women in Worthing, I suppose in a way it's a similar, for all different reasons, but this, it's the same principle, isn't it? It would be that feeling if they had sort of gone back to their jobs that they had before children that worked full time you know it's just you're trapped in one life or another it's 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 making it blend between the two which you've since gone on to see that it is possible but I still think there's an awful lot of people who think that it isn't possible even now which again we'll we will go on to say so the talented ladies club so I, you you knew you was it your um one of your friends is it Carrie Fisher you and so it yeah. was it the idea came with her so how did that all come about so I had the idea for a couple of years and I'd been bending my friend's ear about it and talking about it. And I remember like one day, Carrie, because Carrie's a designer, freelance designer, and she said to me, something like of, for God's sake, Hannah, like, I will do this with you. Just shut up and start doing this. <laughs> Love that. I think she just got sick of me talking about it and, and, and then said, I'll do it with you. Because I think like, I, I really felt I needed someone to do it with me. I mean, I, in hindsight, you don't. But you, you do see that as a lot with entrepreneurs. They don't feel they can do it alone. Um, so, yeah, so Carrie started it with me. Okay, that's amazing. That's interesting you say that with entrepreneurs. They don't feel like they can do it on their own. Why do you, what makes you say that? I think if you haven't done it before, you kind of feel like you want someone to share the journey with, to share the burden with, um, to um, maybe you feel they're going to have skill sets that you don't have that will balance you out. Um, or just it feels like, you know, just someone to kind of go, shall we do this? Yes, let's. Mm. Um, it's that, and I, I do see it a lot. And I often see those relationships not last the course. I, there are obviously, there are some businesses that are started in partnership that do last the course, but the majority that I've seen don't. Because mm. you often find you get like an accelerator and a break. So you get the entrepreneur who's got the idea and the energy and like, yes, let's put this forward, let's just push this forward. Let's, you know, I'm going to stamp all over all those barriers and just kind of do it. And then you've got the person going, hmm, but should we? Let's hold on a second. Let's think about it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can work really well, but sometimes you can get sick of each other because, you know, the accelerator just wants to push, push, push forward. And then the other person's like, you know, I find that frustrating and you're going too fast and you're not thinking about things properly. And then this person's thinking, oh, you're always negative. You're always too slow. You're holding me back. And that you can build resentment as well. Mm, mm. Um, you, I, I'm really, what, one thing I'm really proud of in our case is that, 
you know, about 18 months in, Carrie didn't want to be in the business anymore. Um, and she still does all of my design, all of my branding. So she's still very much part of the business. But the thing I'm really proud of is that we navigated that and stayed very good friends. You know, we're you know, really close friends still. Um, and we were able to, to navigate that without any bad feeling and respect for each other. Yeah, how amazing. Doesn't she live in France now? Does she live? Yes, yeah, she... I mean, that's not, that's another lovely next chapter. Um, but yeah, again, she was, there, but that was lovely, wasn't it? She was there when, when it worked and it helped you get it all off the ground. And, yes. you know, it was all sort of meant to be really. And then you, and then she was, you know, gone back to doing what she really loves doing. So again, I mean, how, how wonderful, how it's all worked out. So you came up with the idea of the Talented Ladies Club. So this was an online magazine, which is a fabulous idea. And so what was the initial seeds? What did you do first? So we um, we planned out, we spent about four months building it. We launched with 100 pages of content. We got a, a developer who's still my designer developer today for the site. And we built it and we launched it on the 30th of April, 2013. Um, and at that time, I had no idea how to ever make money. All we knew is like, I wanted to put something out there that shared information for women and inspired them. Mm. And so, I mean, because now when you look at it, so you obviously you've got your Get Rich Slow podcast, you've got, what's that? You've got hundreds of thousands of people sort of signed up on your mailing list. So, I mean, it's huge. You've got all your amazing articles, which are just so brilliant and just, they cover everything. And really, so obviously this has been sort of 10 years now uh, building all up. But what did it, so when you say when you started out there, so you, you put up, what did you do? Put up some articles. And the fact then also that, which I think is fascinating, you said you didn't know how you're going to make any money because I think this is one of the real key things. And this is something I really wanted to ask you about. And I know it's a big sort of bugbear in my life is that we are so bad at earning money and asking for money and I've listened to some of your podcasts on these subjects and I know in particular with women it's it's an issue I mean I'm not saying it's not with men but it really is so so how did that start then so you started putting things up online how did you start turning it into an extremely successful business so I was always I knew that the website itself I wanted to have an article a day up on there um, which obviously meant a, a, an amount of work going behind it. and But I was always prepared to do the work because I loved it. It used every single one of my passions and skills. Um, so when we published daily content from Word Go, um, so that I put in a lot of hours working for free before it made money, um, I started doing courses because I realised that actually there was an opportunity to create stuff that helped people more than just the articles would do. Um, so we started creating courses. But it wasn't until I started working with a coach, business coach, um, that she started showing me kind of the things that I was doing wrong. I realised that we were making money sporadically. We weren't making enough for it to be a viable business. And I realised that I needed some kind of outside guidance to show me what I was doing wrong and where the opportunities really were. Um, and so I invested in, in coaching and that that really helped. And, and since then... Um, it's been evolving. So we make money from courses and from the site itself. But it is a constant. And I think this is what maybe still keeps me interested at 10 years on. It's constantly evolving. You have to be on top of your game. You know, the the kind of the, the way that courses are created changes, the way that courses are sold changes, the way social media works changes. So you always have to be evolving it and you can never stay still. And that's what I've been doing over the years, continually investing in it, continually working at it but being consistent about it I mean sometimes I talk to people and they will say oh I really want to do what you've done and I've tried and I, I would look at it and say oh okay you need to be posting more content than that you need to be posting daily you need to be sharing on social media and they'll say oh I, I can't be bothered to do that or I you know I did it for a month and I gave up but I like you know, if you really want to make it happen, you have to keep doing the same thing for a long time and keep working at it. That's interesting. I'm going to I'm going to just pause there because I'm going to ask you later about the social media. So we will come back to that. But just so going back there. So when you said you were sort of earning some money sporadically, then you spoke to the business coach. I find that, that that's brilliant because I've heard you talk about that. And actually, since I've heard you say that, we that my husband and I are now working with the business coach because I, I, I was like, this is what we've got. To do. And I understood it. I listened to a couple of your episodes with people and the different and everyone is doing the same who is making um, because you don't know, do you? That's the point. You really, really don't know. So you were when you say you were earning money sporadically, was that through, say, advertising? Um, advertising and courses by that point, 
Um, but I wasn't, you know, selling consistently. I wasn't marketing properly. So yeah, it was partly advertising on the site and partly courses. Okay. So then you worked with the business coach. So what was the diff? What did you start doing that was different? So you say it was more of just similar what you were doing, but just more consistency. Yeah, consistent marketing. Proper, you know, she looked at our pricing. She looked at our kind of product ladders, so how the, our products connect with each other. Um, and but mainly, you know, I really like she's she had a brilliant turn of phrase. She's very deadpan. Um, Julia was my coach, and I remember her saying like, um, "It's like someone's coming to a shop to buy bananas," and she said. And you're pushing your bananas under the counter saying, no bananas here. She's like, oh, she had this lovely phrase, like, I'm hiding my bananas. Like, I'm not selling. I'm actually unselling to people. I'm trying not to sell to them. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like, it, it was being visible and starting to sell properly. Isn't that interesting? And do you think, did she give you a, did she help you with almost like a self-belief? I mean, obviously, you did have lots of self-belief to get this far. But again, when you're saying about with entrepreneurs going out on your own, but when you've got somebody like that in your corner to just make you want to sell your bananas a bit more when you've got someone saying yeah. you've got great bananas you should be selling them definitely and I think it's like it's like you know the same thing about having someone you start a business it's not just you saying oh, I think this you've got someone else there you know when you work with someone and they're saying right let's look at your pricing here's where it needs to be you need to go out and do this it's much easier to do that rather than you just sitting there going well I think I'm going to put my prices up by 10 percent and I know that when I work with people and, and pricing is often one of the things that we first look at because it's usually wrong um, and it's usually too cheap um, I know it's helpful for them to have me in that corner saying you know don't worry about going out with those pricing we know your pricing is, is the right, right rate in the market for your quality you need to go out and do this and I know it's much easier when you have got someone guiding you and standing by you or behind you as you make difficult decisions mm. so you when you say for those listening who haven't seen the, the website that your content your products are as such you'd say like you do courses you do lots which I find fascinating about SEOs which I still find very hard to understand but you simplify it but is that is that what you describe as your product products mainly your your courses as such um I think it's like 50 50 so it's half the actual site and half the courses right so on the site what are the products on your site so it's the site itself I so see. the yeah all the content on the site is is in of itself a product okay so does that and again look sorry hannah i'm asking you really basic questions <laughs> questions here <laughs> you can tell i need to do a few more courses um but but the so when you say the content on the site so is that do you is that the people then coming to your content so like i've been reading your lovely articles and then people sign up to your mailing list is that is that how you describe that as a product or do they yeah. you because you don't presumably they're not reading an article they're not they're not buying anything are they because i think anyone listening you sort of think with a product it's always something that you have to sell but it's not is it it's content as well Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's part of our ecosystem. I mean, everyone coming to my site makes my site valuable because it has traffic. Um, the, the, the articles on our site um, help people to well, help them to help themselves, but also help them to introduce them to me and, and introduce them to what we do. So. So, yeah. That's in, that is it. So just so like the currency of the people coming into your site, you would you would class as that that's is a is a currency because this is now your your audience yeah. as such and your yes customers. and also you know we make money off advertising on the site as well so the site generates an income too oh i see so they okay wow oh god i think i definitely need to sign up hannah i do but um but yeah so and also obviously this you you have you're helping people this is the whole point isn't it so that must be extremely rewarding for you because not only are you learning and were you learning because you've got a big team there now as well haven't you got quite a lot how many people work work on it now um, so I have, so Carrie is my design, Alan is my developer, um, Joe helps me with social media and marketing and lots of other things. I've got another, Joe helps me with Facebook ads, I work with um, the team at Thinkific, so I've got kind of a, mostly free, I mean, everyone's freelance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and, and, you know, as and when, you know, I've had PR, Natalie doing PR. Um, so, you know, as and when I need people, I bring in people with skills and that they come and help. Yeah. And have you enjoyed doing that, working with different people? Oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, everyone I've worked with has been really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, when you're, but 
also the whole point of it, which is where it started off, that you're helping people, and and presumably you get a lot of feedback with that. Where people are, are they predominantly are they setting up their own businesses? Are they finding jobs that suits them? What would you say is the way that women with, especially with children, are are reaching their potential? I think over the years, um, it started out much more kind of career focused, but over the years, I mean, it's. It was 2007 when I quit my last job. So I haven't been an employee for a long time. So as I'm the writer or editor of all the content on there, there's less, you know, the balance is wasted more towards business because that's what I know about more and freelance. You know, I'm less qualified to talk about career-based stuff because I don't have a career in, in the sense of being employed. Um, and also I find that, you know, career-based stuff tends to be like an acute need, you know, other than sort of career development, generally you only think about like CV writing, for example, or job interviews when you need it. And then when you have a job, you just do your job and you're not really, you know, thinking about about your job that much. You know, you're just doing it. Whereas business and freelance, you need to constantly be bringing money into your business. And, and so the business side of it has much more of a, a, a sort of an, a chronic need. So the content generally tends to be more, more kind of um, skewed towards that. Mm. And do you, but do you find now more and more people are having set for it to work for them that they're they're setting up their own like you have done in a way? Yeah, I think the um, I think the fact that the, the internet and has really changed how we can set up businesses. You know, we live so much more online. You know, you can start a business from your laptop, and your laptop pretty much is the only kind of physical resource that you need. You, as long as you have Wi-Fi. Um, so it is much more available to people. There's more information about setting up businesses. There are many people doing it, and then inspiring others to do it. Um, that said, I think it's still hard. I think it, it, the failure rate of business is still really high. Um, not everyone is going to make a success of it. Not all the information out there about starting business is entirely honest mm. and accurate. Um, and not everyone has the right personality to see it through. Um, but I do think it is great that it, it is much more freely available now. That if you've got a laptop, you can start a business. Mm. Um, and, and the idea of remote working, you know, when I first was freelancing, people would expect to physically meet you as a freelancer. I remember once I did some um, freelance work for Boots and I had to drive from Worthing to Nottingham and back in a day for an hour long meeting to meet Boots agency for them to just physically see me and go, yeah, you could do the work. Yeah. You know, nowadays you'd have, a, you'd have a Zoom meeting or a Skype meeting. Um, you know, it's much more accepted now that you might, you could do business with someone and never physically meet them. And and that has enabled more people to start business from home as well. Mm. And again, going back to what um, we were, we were saying earlier, and I saw some of this, some of the articles that were written on your site, but again, it's who suits doing this kind of thing. I mean, I think mm. it's amazing. And I know friends, I know they've got these amazing talents and they've got these amazing passions, but also when you're caught in that, you know, you go to work and you get a monthly salary and you have your weekends off, that you can see the two sides of the coin all the time but um you know when this is it something like women if they want to apply for a job they'll wait till they're 100 percent qualified or they think they have to be 100 and men it'll be 60 percent and you and female entrepreneurs are paid 24 percent less than men i mean still and that's i think still <laughs> oh my i mean uh, it's shocking and so i swear how how do you encourage women to get over that you know to to make the leap before they're quite you know they're not like that day you just went into the office and you you said it even though you didn't have it have it all planned but it did all work out but how how do you encourage people um to make to make that leap and to go for it the fact what they really want and to know, think, and to know they're going to get paid sorry Hannah, to, to know yeah, they're going to get paid as well i think i do it by sharing knowledge of what the process is like. Look, I think if when you can see the process, it makes it feel more more um, realistic or more achievable. Well, you, when it's like starting a business and it's a big grey murky cloud, you don't know what starting a business actually involves. It's much harder to visualise yourself doing it. But when you know, okay, to start a business, I just need to do this step and this step and this step, and 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 that's fine. But I will caveat that by saying that it's not for everybody. You know, there are a lot of people start who start businesses earn less than minimum wage in their businesses. And some of them never get beyond that. They never earn more than minimum wage. Mm. Um, some people find it quite isolating. They find it quite difficult. You know, you do need to have a lot of um, sort of get up and go. You need to have a lot of initiative. You need to have kind of strength of character to 
take the knocks and then just get back up and do it. That self-belief. Um, not everyone has the personality trait to do it. Um, so, and I think, you know, if, I think sometimes people would be better, are better off not doing it. But that's not to say starting a business isn't part of their journey. I know some people who start a business, the business doesn't work out, but it takes them to a totally different place and a better place than they were before they started the business. Mm. Or even it can kind of put to bed a kind of a niggling thing that they had, you know, could I start a business? What if, you know, the grass is going to be greener? They do it, find out it isn't. And then they're much happier making another choice for themselves. So I don't think necessarily that, if everyone start, if everyone who starts a business doesn't follow it through, that's a failure. You know, I very much believe in kind of everything we do, we can take something from it and it can make us better, put us in a better place. But not everyone will necessarily start a business and it will make them an income and they will stay doing that. Mm. Well, it goes back to what we were saying before as well. It's knowing when is the right time to leave. But mm. I also think like you're right, because when you've got that niggle, I always had it back with writing books, but it's like you have the niggle and actually that, and I've, I've been talking about this with the business coach actually, sometimes that niggle of, I should be doing this. I know I should be doing this. Or even like on a list of things to do, you're always thinking, I should be doing more. I should be doing more. But it's that niggle and that, that, that can make you feel really miserable. So actually, it's better to just do it and see what happens because you'll feel freer from that. Absolutely. And I, and I would recommend anyone who has a desire or has a niggle to go and embrace that and follow it through and see what happens. Because either they will find out that's the best thing ever. They should have done it years ago that is their kind of life's calling or they'll find out actually that wasn't all I thought it would be I wasn't good at it it didn't work for me but I say they would have learned something from that process they would be in a different place and they haven't got that niggle anymore so I don't see something not working as being failure and I think that fear of failure stops people from pursuing it but I think it's far better to go open-hearted into something and accept it might work or it might not work and really embrace it and see what happens. Yeah, because also I think as well, if you've got the right people around you, everyone will support you and nobody, everyone will just admire you for having a go because the people who, if you're if you're frightened someone's going to poo-poo you, well, you don't really care about their opinions anyway because clearly they haven't done it themselves. Exactly. And there isn't a brilliant phrase that those who matter don't care and those who care don't matter. Oh, I like that. Something like that. But I think, you know, there's always potentially going to be people who judge you. But it, at the end of the day, it's for you. When you go to bed at night, you have to think, have I, have I had a good day? Have I been kind to people around me? Have I made the world somehow better? Have I been true to myself and true to others? You can go to bed at night knowing that it doesn't really matter what someone else thinks of you. That that knowing yourself and knowing that you've done your best. And, and this is something that, you know, I try and tell my children, all you can ever do is try your best. Sometimes your best won't be good enough. Sometimes it will be. But all you can ever do is do your best in any situation. And all anyone else is doing is their best. And sometimes their best will fall short as well. Sometimes it will fail you. Sometimes it will harm you. But if everyone just does their best and we don't judge anyone for what they do, other than the fact that they're just trying then in the world's a much nicer place. And if anyone does judge you, that's just on them. Like mm. if they haven't walked in your shoes or tried it, then their judgments mean nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I know from doing, even from doing these conversations, everyone who started a next chapter, they would never judge. They just wouldn't because they've been through it themselves. And, you know, you can understand that. So before we move on with you, I'm going to ask you about social media because, oh, Hannah, this is like a bit of a bit of a bit of a bad one for me as well <laughs> clearly it's still got yeah really a lot to learn but with social media I I find social media really overwhelming and I find it I find it hard and um even though I'm a journalist and I'm used to going on the tv I find it really really hard to put myself on my Instagram about me and my books say I'm just using myself as an example but I and then I get a bit confused because I hear people say well Instagram isn't what it was or Facebook isn't what it was and then there's TikTok and that so it then becomes all completely overwhelming so what is your advice again for people with social media do you think it is still the same that it, a it is essential and that like you're saying the consistency is the key perhaps no matter which one you choose absolutely i think um there is no better way to get in front of people than social media if you think about it right now it's always going to evolve. There's always going to be, you know, it used to, you know, it used to be Facebook, then it was Twitter, then it was Instagram, then it's TikTok. There's always, you know, there was Snapchat for a while. There's always um, fashions. But I think, you know, find out where your people are, be consistent, 
And, you know, I think the thing to think about, I always have two words when I think about um, social media, it's interesting and useful, is what I'm sharing interesting and useful to the people I want to reach. It's not about me. It's not about what I think is important, what I want to share. It's about what they want from me, what they need to know, what I can do that's going to help them. And I think if you, whatever platform you're on and whatever you're doing, if you bear in mind that the people you want to talk to and what it is they want to think, feel, know and do, and if you can share that information with them, then, you know, they will always want to consume your content. Um, the moment your content becomes very sort of self-referential or just very inward focused or about you, I think it's you're not going to impart much of use. You know, obviously you get influencers. I have a real um, like love hate relationship with social media and the whole world of influence and the parasocial relationships that that builds up on there and and. You know, I think it, the, the world of influence is quite unhealthy and the way that we consume it, uh, you know, as people, it's quite unhealthy these days. The power that we give to people we don't know and don't understand the motivations of is quite frightening. But in terms of, from you know, our own accounts, I think being aware of the people you want to connect with and what they want from your account, I think is really helpful. Mm, that is very, yeah, that is very good advice. And do you think, do one do do one well? Because I hear that philosophy quite a lot. Or do you think, give it all yes. a go, yeah, do one and do one well? Yeah, you, you, have, you have a finite amount of energy. And to do social media really well, you have to engage. It's social. You can't just put content out. Um, so, yes, do one really, really well. Um, but I also say that, you know, I... I have an Instagram account that I have that I use. I don't. I don't have um, even. <laughs> I don't really use the, my own like the business one. I use a personal one, and it's so locked down. Like it's got. I've got no profile photo or anything like that. And it's literally just my friends on there. That's it. Mm. Because I want to use that. Like you know, we can all get sucked into the dialogue that we see on there and the message we see. And even if you're looking at it, knowing, like, oh, I know when that person's sharing that, what their intention is, they want to make me feel jealous. Or they want to make me feel like I'm in, 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 inadequate in some way. But even though we know that, there is still that drip, drip, drip when we're consuming content of people saying they're more successful than us, they're happier than us, they're better than us. That has a, a sort of a, an insidious effect on us. So when I personally consume social media, I do it on a account that only follows about 15 people. <laughs> and then I, and then I know, and then I just follow food accounts. I love food and yoga. So my, my, <laughs> I just look at food accounts and yoga accounts. Oh, that sounds um, good. But I just share photos on there. The only people that see them are my friends because, you know, this is something, a decision I made in, in Tan Ladies Club. I didn't want to post photos of my nice holidays or me having meals out. or I never wanted someone to look at my content and feel bad or inadequate, going, oh, look at Hannah. Here she is off jetting south of France for a few weeks to work. Or mm. here she is having a really nice meal in, in nice clothes. Because I think that's going to make the person who watches that or, or reads it feel bad. Yeah. And how can I make someone feel bad? And what's that got to do with my business? So... I actually don't really post very much personal on there because of that. But when I do share photos of my life, it's with people who know me, who want to see my kids and want to see me on holiday because they might have been there with me. So I, I use personally use social media in a very different way to how I use it for business. So when you were using it for business to build uh, or as you use it, do you tend to just really, yeah. going back to what you were saying, you just really keep it about the business, but what yes. it will help the people that you want to help. It's purely, it's, it's that motive behind it. Absolutely. It's all about what can I do that helps you and that makes you feel more empowered and feel better as a result. Um, you'll never see me in a business class flight with a glass of champagne telling you that I only work one day a week and isn't life great. Yeah. Well, I won't ask you if you do do that, Hannah. I won't. I'm going <laughs> to. But how lovely. But yeah, no, I, t I take. Well, that is, again, you know, that's one of the fears I because I, I hate that. I'm, I'm with you and I, I hate it. And I know lots of people, you know, listening, you, don't, you, you feel rubbish, don't you? And it's but it's it's bragging. I mean, that's what it boils down to. It's some form of. But there's a so that's where and then but I think I go a bit too far the other way because I never I don't want to post anything. But then you've got to do it for people to know about my podcast and about my books. But it's how you do it with in a way without making them feel bad you know you, and you can then overthink yeah. it and then you don't put yourself in it and that sort of thing so it's a it's a fine line I suppose between all of it isn't it it is yes and I think you know if someone's listening and, and they were looking for advice on that I would say go and look at accounts that, that you like that you feel get that right I mean for you in terms of you know other writers 
and look at accounts that you think, oh, I actually really like what they do, and they don't make me feel bad. Yeah. And then go and yeah. look at their, their posts. Go, what's, is there some common themes I see them posting? What are their posts that get the most engagement? What are their posts, what are, which one of their posts or types of their posts make me feel good or I like to see? And then just go and look at someone who does it well and see what they do and then, see, then build a strategy based on the insights you get from that. Yeah, that is very good advice. That is, thank you, very good advice. So moving on to your, to be continued, what would you like to do next? I mean, we've done so much, but what would you like to do next? Would you, I presume you want to just keep going with the Talented Ladies Club, but you've got, you've got your podcast, you've I mean, reaching so many women. Is there anything that you would like to do next? Um, no, I mean, I love, um, you know, Talented Ladies Club is always evolving. Uh, you know, I can never get bored of it because it's a different beast. Every year the business is, is a slightly different in a way and it's always challenging me I'm always trying to learn something new so I'm not at a stage yet where I'm getting bored um you know I do like you know I mean I'm 50 now my husband is is you know he's um in his late 50s so you know he's got a business as well and he's talking about one day you know selling the business and what we do next and I would love to travel more um you know, when I get older, so I think I can take TLC with me. You know, there is no reason why I can't still be doing TLC on the road. Um, but whether I ultimately sell Town Ladies Club, I don't know. I, I have no end kind of exit plan for that. I'm still enjoying it now. I had thought about, you know, maybe selling something for, you know, when you retire and, and having, you know, a Town Ladies Club for retirees. How do you have an amazing life when you retire and what are the options? So, I can't imagine ever not working. You know, my parents are, um, oh, my dad's 80, my mum's in her 70s, and they are as busy as I've been. Yeah, um, good. Act busy people. And, and they have really full lives, really full social lives. And, and they're always, you know, my mum was mayor. They're always, in, you know, kind of doing stuff in their town. And I think that that's me. I think I'm always going to want to be busy. I get bored if I'm not doing anything. So, I think I'm always going to be looking for something that challenges me, that interests me, that 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 I can get better, I can learn something from, that I can help people with. So, so yeah, mm. I, that's kind of my plan. Yeah, it sounds a good plan. Going back to you in your college when you got bored with the lectures, I think if you were on that beach and not doing anything, you probably would get a bit bored, Hannah, wouldn't you? So, yeah, I think it's so yeah. important to keep busy. And, and my husband and I always have a thing that we never want to retire. But I think it's a... Um, I'm not saying work all the, you know really long hours all the time but it's just you see it's just lo like you were saying with your parents lovely to just have that you know just keep going just keep going if you're doing something and again this is why it's so important to do something you enjoy isn't it because it's rubbish if you don't enjoy it but if you love it why would you want to stop doing it absolutely absolutely I've got a grandmother in her late 90s who you know is still kind of active and doing things at a late age so I've got a few years ahead of me yet yeah, yeah you absolutely do well it'll take me that time to work out how to do anything so Hannah you've got to keep going because I've got a lot to learn um so and then so for your acknowledgements who would you like to thank who's helped you along the way oh gosh that's a massive question yeah. um I guess <laughs> you know Curry Turns Ladies Club um you know, I mean, I, you know, it wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. I mean, many friends along the way, Joe, who works for me now, um, all the people, but also the people who who read it and 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 buy the courses or or, or just take watch my free classes because it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the people who use it and who value it. And they are, you know, it's I I, I create it for them. I create it based on the information I get. You know, when people ask questions in classes, that helps me create more content for them. So, you know, definitely the people who read Tanzania's Club, who get a download a freebie, who join my mailing list, who buy a course, who interact in any way, um, I wouldn't be here without them. Mm. I should say as well, you put a percentage of all your profits to charity as well, to quite a lot of different charities. So that and that's a lovely thing for you to do as well. Definitely, I always wanted to to kind of make it an organization that, that does that does good um and one of the things like that the, the charities that i give to are all overseas charities and and i think you know there's a lot of poverty in the uk um but i think by by being born in the uk by virtue of that we already have advantages in life that don't exist if you are if you were born to a poor family in Africa or Asia. Um, so the, the I give to charities that support women and mothers um, and their families um, out there. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. And again, it just, you know, it just gives it all... It, it, a bit goes back to what you're saying, what you were talking about with the social media, that it's just all, it, it's just, a di it's a whole different philosophy then, isn't it? It's not just about, look, at look, I'm on my first class flight. Um, 
I mean, lovely if you are, but it's you're doing it in a. <laughs> you're doing I always, it. That, what a waste of money! I know. You know, like frittering money away on sort of a festival fight. I'd rather fly economy for a few hours and put that money into savings. Yeah. Oh, see, look, I definitely need to spend more time with you, Hannah. I definitely, I definitely do. Um. So, and, and now, look, I know we've talked. I know we've spoken about it, but we end with our um advice for people listening, for our lovely listeners. Now, I know you're saying that, but let, let's just take that. Say, for example, if you want to, there's a, you've got a passion about something. So say, for example, you've got a passion for interiors. Often I use that as an example. I know um so lots of people who listen do, and they love the idea of interiors, and they really want to have some form of an interior business. But they're um starting to think, do you know what? I haven't done it, and why does anyone? There's enough interiors businesses and you can apply that to any different type of business Mm. what would you say to that person as in where what to do next and where to start okay so the first thing is all businesses solve problems okay so find a problem that you can solve now don't just say for example interiors well i do people's interiors as you say there are plenty of interior designers what makes you different what's is there a niche you know can you do interiors for children's bedrooms can you do interiors for you know just for new build houses can you do interiors just for victorian houses is there a kind of a niche that you can do and then go and look for problems that people complain about you know oh i wish i could find that and there's no one that does this or you know that's always breaking and i and i can't find a replacement for it but just look for a problem or a niche that is not being met right now there is always an opportunity if you look hard enough but don't just think you can go out there and be a me too try and find something a way that you can solve a problem that's not being solved or solve a problem in a different way or find a niche and when you do that if you find that you think okay right yeah look i'm going to go for children's bedrooms or you know something like that then what do you do next and what is the difference when you were saying to earlier like obviously some things will fail but you probably have Mm. a good just of somebody if you meet you'll know I would imagine if they're gonna make a good go of it or not what what would you look for that you think you need to have at that beginning part to be in with a chance for it surviving okay so the next thing I do is write a business plan there are lots of free templates and in fact we have on our site there is um we've got a template a free template you can download off our site but you don't have to get it from ours most banks usually have downloadable business plans Fill in a business plan. That will get you to think about your business holistically, all the areas of it in it. And that's where you'll spot the holes in your thinking. Oh, I haven't really thought about that area of it. Um, so do fill in a business plan um, and then think about the steps that you would need to take to bring that to fruition. Um, in terms of like what you can spot, I mean, it's quite difficult. We all we all have a we are we have a blind spot in ourselves. Like all of us so these human beings we can never really fully see ourselves so it is unlikely that anyone will kind of go oh I've had an insight I don't think I'm an entrepreneur um you know I sometimes we have to follow the process before we kind of realize it's not for us sometimes the process and planning a business makes you think you don't want to do it but it all seems a lot of hard work I actually just like doing the design itself I don't want to do I don't want to do marketing I don't want to do sales I don't want to do my books so maybe actually I do want to get a job as an interior designer. Maybe actually that is what I really love to do. Because when you start a business, it's unlike you're going to have a team of people working from the outset. So you're going to have to be not the interior designer, but the accountant and the social media person and the admin person and, all, and the marketeer. So sometimes the process of kind of planning out a business can actually cause someone to kind of have second thoughts Mm. and also as well I mean you're dealing a lot with women who have had who've got children um but also and this is we talked about this before we started recording I listened to one of your brilliant episodes about boundaries now this is something that I think everyone struggles with but also I thought, yeah, I definitely need to do some more work on it because it's all very well to say, yeah, I really want to love to do that. But then it's like, oh, but I want to meet that lovely friend for coffee and I want to go and do that. And oh, but I've I've done that work, so I should put... And it gets to a point, isn't it? If you're really... And in fact, this is what we're talking about with our business coach at the moment. If you are really, really serious, but I mean, like... I thought we were I thought I was quite serious but I'm starting to realize I need to be more serious because you do have to have really strict like this is working time and and I can and how long is this going to take me realistically because otherwise you end up doing nothing very well don't you absolutely you have to make sacrifices there are things you're not going to be able to do and and, and things you're not going to go to and time you're going to spend um and that's why you really have to love not just your business in 
interior design, but you have to love the whole business. You know, you have to love doing your accounts as well, or not love it, but not hate it to the point where you put it off. Um, you have to you have to be in love with the whole process because you might have to give up weekends, you know, especially if you're working as well. You're going to have to work evenings and weekends and and sacrifice things for your business. And if you're not prepared to do that, maybe that's a sign that the business isn't for you. Mm. And interesting as well. And I'm conscious of your time. We're going to finish. I promise this is the last point. But what I loved what I heard you on the interview about boundaries is the fact that we don't the person that we let down the most with our boundaries and this applies to lots of areas is ourselves we walk all over ourselves and that I think that's something that in all different things be it that we're spending too much time on other people or or whatever it is we've got to start really respecting what it is and being really truthful like you say when you go to bed at night have I you know am I happy have I had a good day you've got to be really honest to know what you want to be able to feel like that don't you absolutely but also about being kind to yourself because there are times in our life where we feel very kind of on mission and we feel like, you know, we've had a, you know, having a good day or being effective. And there are other times in our life where we can kind of slack off or, and, you know, you realise that bad habits come in or bad relationships. And it's not like you're born, you learn a lesson and I am perfect here on in. You know, we're all evolving, we're all changing and we're all, we have good days and bad days and, and no one is perfect. You know, quite often I interview people about who are sharing expertise and they'll confide that actually, I don't always do these things myself. You know, same here. You know, and one thing I always say when I'm delivering a class um, and I'm telling people about all the mistakes people make and they're like, no, please don't want to feel bad because I've made all these mistakes myself and I still probably still make some of them and I still will make some of them in the future. That we're all, none of us, like the finished article, we're all just doing our best and sometimes our best isn't good enough. And I think the important thing is not to have that... Um, that thing where we don't like ourselves, despise ourselves, they just give up. Like, What's the point? I'm never going to do it. You know, I, you know, I'm always a failure. And, you know, I try, didn't work so much. So I'm not trying anymore. It's like, you know, waking up every morning with renewed kind of um, desire to, to do the things you want to do and be a better person and be kind to ourselves when we don't do that. Mm. Well, Hannah, Martin, I think you've been amazing what you're doing. I've learned so much just in this hour. Thank you for being such a fabulous guest on the next chapter. Thank you so much for having me, Ellie. So there you are. What did you think of that? Oh, I learned so much. I mean, even that social media alone, is it interesting and useful to others? It's not about making others feel bad. It's all about understanding what your people want to know. Wow, so much to think about. And also, you know, find your niche. I love this. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Hannah and her work, the link for the Talented Ladies Club is in the show notes. And I so recommend you have a look, whatever your ponderings. Her articles and the work has really helped me. And I just love her podcast too. If you want to keep in touch with me and find out about my books, and oh, I'd so love it if you do, then I'm at elliebarkandwrites.com. If you could rate and review this episode, well, that would be marvellous and may help others with their next chapters too. You're listening to a Flower Pop production. I'll be back next week, but in the meantime, go on, go and find your niche. I think you can do it, and Hannah does too. Speak soon. <laughs>